Welcome to the 328th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on March 19th, 2023. My name is Brad Galloway. I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, and I'm also 50% of this here show usually. Today, I am 100% of this here show. Most often, I am joined by my co-host, Carlos Rodella, but he is taking the week off to conduct some illicit experiments. He'll be back next week as long as the feds don't discover his current location. As for me, uh, we'll be doing something a little different this week since uh, I have the place all to myself here. Um, First off, I am recording at 12.51 a.m. We don't usually record at this time of night. But I'm on daddy duty tomorrow. It's going to be me and my man kind of lone wolfing it while the wife is off doing some work stuff. So I figured I would get this recording knocked out while he's asleep. That way I can be totally on and capital D dadding next day. So that's why I'm recording now. Uh, Also, uh, I have some extra bits and bobs we're going to be covering. uh, So that's also going to be different. We have the usual housekeeping and the main game content for sure. But I've also got a few things here, such as a peek behind the curtain. Going to give you a look of what it looked like for a video game editor this weekend who has a generally full schedule. Uh, And also, I'll have some TV and movie thoughts along with that. Um, A fairly big bit on the Last of Us TV series. Not the game, but the TV series. Uh, It just wrapped up recently, maybe two weeks ago. And I watched the last episode with my wife. I have played the game before. And I will have some thoughts, extended thoughts, kind of in response to some of the hot takes that have been shooting around. Uh, there will be spoilers in that discussion, but I will give you a big warning before we get there. So uh, I think that is all the preamble I have for now. And without further ado, uh, let's get on with the show. All right, let's see here. Oh, it's kind of a weird night since I usually record with Carlos and we have this kind of like team energy that goes back and forth and we have a good rhythm that goes uh that goes between us now that i'm on my own for just this week he'll be back next week uh definitely kind of like every time i kind of mentally expect him to jump in there's no one jumping in and so i've got to jump in for myself uh so please excuse me if i stumble and bumble a little bit but uh we're gonna get to this here uh let's do the housekeeping usually uh usually carlos and i share a virtual living space divided down the middle with a strip of duct tape uh, but like I said, I've got the place all to myself this week. Uh, the duct tape is still there, but I'm 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 walking over and I'm sticking a foot over. Uh, I'm throwing some garbage on his side. I'll probably pick it up later because I'm not disrespectful. Uh, but I'm walking. I'm walking on his side a little bit. Uh, I'm sitting in my easy chair and my feet are extending over the duct tape. But please don't tell Carlos and, and he'll probably never know. Uh, this is the part where I would ask Carlos what he's got. He's not here. What do you got, Carlos? Nothing. Okay, cool. As for me... Uh, let's start with the egg report. We usually start with the egg report, uh, since I am a big chicken guy. Uh, egg report for today, five eggs, green, white, brown, and olive. And also, I do want to just take a minute and say that I had a really nice day with the chickens. Um, if you don't know chickens, chickens are really fun animals. Uh, and they're really, they can be really friendly if you take the time to kind of get to know them and, and acclimate yourself to them. My favorite chicken, uh, frequent listeners of the show will know, is named Worcestershire. And she is a Brahma. She's supposed to be like a, a larger chicken, kind of like the extra large size chicken. Uh, the current world record for biggest chicken is held by a Brahma. And I was kind of hoping I might have a contender, but she's not quite that large yet. Anyway, she's a real sweetie. 
and I love her lots. And when I go out to the yard, she'll come up to me and she likes getting picked uh, picked up and held. And we kind of snuggle this afternoon. It's really fun, but it's kind of, I don't do a lot during the wintertime because it's really muddy and dirty and gross. And Brahmas have uh, feathery feet. So she's always got like these like super muddy feet when I go out to the yard and I just don't want to have uh, dirty chicken footprints all over me. But today was a nice day. We went out and snuggled. She's a beauty. Uh, I love her. She's so sweet. Um, all right. Egg report is done. Let's get on to the actual housekeeping. Uh, let's see. Not a lot this week. Not a lot. Just a couple news bits. Uh, first heads up that the final DLC for Citizen Sleeper will march. <laughs> it will march to you on March 30th. Didn't mean to say that, but we're going to keep rolling because I'm not going to edit that out. Uh, yeah, it launches on March 30th. Uh, for those who remember, Citizen Sleeper was actually my game of the year last year. I thought it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, Text-based narrative JRP, not a JRP, narrative RPG, but also with a lot of dice mechanics and kind of like adapted board game mechanics. Uh, it was like a little bit of everything plus the kitchen sink. And it really was kind of strange because on paper, it doesn't really seem like it should work, but it really worked for me just really well. I had the best time with it. Immense writing, great sci-fi atmosphere, wonderful combination of mechanics with story, with meta elements. It all just came together. It's just a masterpiece, really, or masterpiece. Um, they are going to release three DLCs total. Number one is number one and number two are already out. I have played number one, but it was such a short um, little experience. And I don't say that as a criticism. It really got right to the point of what it was doing. And that's fine. Uh, but I thought, you know, I probably would enjoy them more if I played them as one big chunk. Because when I got to the end of the first one, I was like, oh, man, is that it? I want some more. And that's all there is. And I blew through it in like a couple hours. And I was like, uh, OK, I'm going to just wait. Um, so I will get to DLCs two and three on March 30th when they launch. I believe they launch for all platforms at the same time. Uh, and I've got my game save all ready to go. So I'm looking forward to playing that. Uh, so heads up if you want to get that last bit of story for Citizen Sleeper. And if you haven't played it yet, man, go play that game. The game is so good. If you listen to this podcast, I have to imagine that you would find at least something about that game to like. It may not be everybody's favorite game. You may not love it as much as I did. But there is no denying it's doing something new. It's taking a fresh approach. The quality of what's there is is top tier. And I think that even if you end up not liking it that much, or even if it's not your favorite game, just playing it for a minute and just kind of seeing what it does will really give you a glimpse into the many different avenues that games can take. And I think for me, um, that in itself is valuable. So G-O-T-Y for me, certainly last year. But uh, I think everybody should at least try it just to see. Okay, uh, only one more bit of news here before I get on to the main content of the show. Uh, just a little uh, PR bit. Uh, there's a game called The Kinderman Remedy coming Q3. So this is really early news. And honestly, I don't generally often talk about news this early because, you know, it's, it's just so early. A lot of things could happen between now and then. There might be delays. There might be changes. Who knows? Uh, but this one I felt like was worth mentioning because if you remember last year one of my favorite games i believe it was on my top 10 was called ravenous devils and this was a video game remake of the sweeney todd ip where you know the, the demon barber of fleet street uh murders rich well-to-do people in his barber shop and then they make pies out of them uh cannibal pies that kind of stuff uh musical it's also a movie uh it's a pretty pretty well-known uh 
property. So they, they made a game out of that. They called it Ravenous Devils, and it was a 2D ant farm sort of time management game. I'm not familiar with that title as a genre, the time management genre. Uh, but that's what the developers and slash publishers were calling it. So basically it's like you have to make us in that game in Ravenous Devils, you have to make a certain amount of meat pies. You have to kill a certain amount of people. There's only so many hours in the day. So you're often trying to go back and forth managing things. Can you make enough pies? Do you have enough resources? Are enough customers coming in? Manage the shop? Are you making enough money? Um, it's lots of plates to spin. And although that does sound a little bit hectic, I did find that it was really easy to play, really um, accessible, in terms of just like everything it needed you to do was really clear and simple and had a good flow to the rhythm. And plus, I just thought it was fucking cool. I just thought it was really fun to be able to run this little barbershop and kill dudes and throw them down the meat chute. And then your partner in the basement would chop them up. Um, it's a really, really fun game. Dark, really dark, really gross, um, but also awesome. I loved it. It was one of my favorites. Um, the publisher is saying that they now have another property... In that same vein, which is interesting because I got PR from the developer, the actual developer of Ravenous Devils. And they're like, hey, if you liked our game, check out our new game. And, ah, man, I okay, like real talk, like I haven't played the new game. In fact, I can't remember what it's called. But they went from a 2D time management sim to a 3D kind of restaurant running game, which also has, um, I guess, story elements and I believe either a supernatural or maybe a sci-fi like alien sort of element to it. But I watched a video and it was, it just, it just didn't appeal to me. It just didn't hit me the same way. Like it just felt like it was a first person perspective, which to me is always like kind of a bummer. Um, the person was like cooking food and um, serving it up and taking orders from customers. And at the same time, there's a narrative running in the background. And like, I, I don't think that making the food was the fun part of Ravenous Devils. To me, it was managing the shop overall like you you have murder going on upstairs you've got cannibalism happening in the basement you're serving people at a restaurant in the middle you've got herbs growing on the roof for your recipes i mean you're kind of doing like all sorts of little things and it was all just kind of like do this do this do this do this and kind of jump back and forth um but this other video of their new game it kind of looks like you're just managing a restaurant in first person almost looks like one of those cooking simulator games where you take orders from people and, and cook to order and then serve that up. And those are okay. I mean, those are fine. They're not like really my jam. And it, it just feels like a big departure from what they did last time. And again, I feel kind of churlish for saying this, but um, I don't think that developers should make the exact same thing every time. I'm not saying that. I don't want them to make the exact same game. But for me, what I liked about that first game, I'm not seeing a lot of that in this video. I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. Maybe it's going to be my new favorite game. Who knows? Um, but I was a little bit bummed to see that. So with that in mind, when I got this PR from the publisher, not the developer, but the publisher for the Kinderman Remedy, that looks very much like what Ravenous Devils was like. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I only played one of those last year, one time management game out of the entire year. Um, I'm ready for another one. I would like to play another one. And that's what this one looks like. It's another 2D ant farm situation. Uh, another time management situation where you always like you got stuff going on in different rooms. And what this one is about, it looks like there's some kind of a, I don't know, zombie experiment or something. I wasn't quite sure exactly, like maybe a Frankenstein-ish kind of experiment where a doctor's killing people, taking the body parts, making, making the monster bodies and kind of doing back and forth. And it looks like they also have like a, like a clinic front that they're kind of operating out of. So maybe um, you're kind of like doing the same sort of ravenous devils thing, but rather than making meat pies, you're making uh, meat people, I guess. 
Um, so I don't know more about it than that, but it looks really interesting to me, and I'm going to put that on my radar, so definitely get that on your radar as well. And uh, check out Ravenous Devils if you haven't. I believe it's a pretty low-priced uh, game. I think it was like f 5 or 10 bucks or something. I played it on Xbox. I thought it was awesome on controller. Um, really good stuff. All right. That is all of the housekeeping I have for this week. I think I'm just going to get on over to the main content of the show. All right, let me take a look at the agenda here. Um, I've got three games on deck this week, although I actually have more than three, but just three in the main content here. Let's start with Perseverance, the complete edition. Uh, I had not heard of this one before, but it's on Switch, played it on Switch. It's also on PC. I don't know if it's on the other consoles, probably, as things are these days. Um, so this is a visual novel. What attracted me about it was the art style. The art style is kind of a cool comic book sort of a vibe. Good illustrations that caught my attention. And it seems to tell some sort of a post-apocalyptic zombie story. And if you listen to the show, you know I'm a sucker for zombie stories. I do love zombie stories. I love zombie content. Although, it's weird because I don't really like the gore or the killing or anything. I think it's more about the survival aspect that I appreciate. Or like humans overcoming tough situations and kind of struggling and, and banding together, which we know they don't actually do in real life. That's a crock. It's fiction. Uh, but I do like those stories. And so that's what that's what drew me in. A zombie story, visual novel. Haven't played a good one of those in a while. And plus on the Switch. Um, so the publishers were kind enough to send me a code. It was Feardemic. So thank you very much to that. Uh, appreciate it very much. Uh, and I will say up front, uh, unfortunately, I didn't really get on with this, this one too well. Um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I've mentioned this on the show many times, but when I get to a visual novel, I want I want it to be something that really leverages the electronic medium. I don't want an ebook. I don't want to just be reading text all the time. I want to see animation. I want to see choices. I want to see dynamic backgrounds. I want to see, I don't know, just something that really takes advantage of the situation of being on a handheld or on a console. And I do not feel like this one really takes advantage of it. It's really basically just mostly reading, like 98% just straight up reading. So it's kind of like a novel um, or just a book. And I don't want that when I do a visual novel. I want something that is more than that. So that part was kind of a bummer. Um, I will say the art was, uh, some of it was pretty good. I did like some of the art. But I do believe this game was made not in America which is fine. I love uh, I love games made outside of America. But I had some issues with the translation, and if you're doing a visual novel, that's the bulk of the experience is, is what you're reading, and if the translation is not spot on, um, that's a problem. I don't know who they did the translation, but most of it was generally fine, but there were definitely some weird phrases and weird, just like, just structures in the language where I'm like, huh, this is clearly not a native English speaker because this seems strange and it's kind of taking me out of the experience. Um, so that part was kind of a bummer. Uh, but also more than that is that I, I had some issues with the content itself. Um, I felt like some of the stuff was borderline uh, kind of racist and kind of sexist and I didn't really get on with it. Um, part of this issue is that I, you know, if you're writing a character who is supposed to be unlikable for a certain reason, or, you know, you have a, you have a specific reason for, for covering some of this content, that's fine. Like, I mean, I think that there can be compelling reasons in a narrative sense of why you're writing a particular character as likable or unlikable. Uh, and that, and that's okay. But when you're doing something like a visual novel like this, I feel like in general, the player kind of assumes that they are the main character 
And that wasn't exactly the case here, but it kind of did still feel that way where um, the main character is this guy. He has a daughter and he has a wife. And in the very beginning chapter of the game, the zombie apocalypse hasn't happened yet. So he's kind of just going about his life. And I just really didn't like this guy like at all. Like it was really kind of repellent. Um, for example, he goes into like a like a 7-Eleven or something and there is an indigenous person working there and he calls him fucking chief. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like in 2023, you're calling the indigenous character chief, not even once, but like multiple times. And the guy in the shop didn't even really object to it. And I'm like, this is a pretty obvious red flag that this is not something that is really cool these days. Um, in terms of him talking to his wife and daughter, he was also saying some like vaguely sexist stuff where... The wife has a career and she wants some support and he's just like not having it. And he's just like saying some stuff like, you know, I, it, it was just it, it really kind of repellent to me. Like I, I didn't like this character at all. I didn't like feeling as though I was kind of like him, even though I wasn't. Um, and I just was like, this is not clicking for me um, a bit. Plus the questionable translation. Uh, plus the fact that it's just like basically a novel. Um, these things were all all negatives right on top of that the text is too small and there's no options to adjust the text and it's like this is a visual novel most of what you're giving me 98 percent of what you're giving me is text and if this text is too small that makes for a 98 percent unpleasant experience so um i would be up for more zombie themed visual novels on the switch i don't think that's a problem but i feel like perseverance complete edition just did not get the job done for me too many too many check marks in the negative column and not a lot in the positive one other than the art and I guess just the basic premise. So this one was a no-go for me. I, I noped out pretty quickly and I uh, I would have a pretty hard time recommending this to anyone else. So that is a thumbs down on Perseverance Complete Edition. All right, um, what's next? Okay, next we have Pronty, P-R-O-N-T-Y, Pronty. Uh, this is a 2D action heavy metroidvania sort of thing where you play a little fish person uh underwater it's kind of a sci-fi i don't know weird kind of post-apocalyptic but also sci-fi sort of thing some bad stuff is going down underwater you're like a little fish dude and you are tasked with like taking care of business down there you are kind of at this remote outpost and you're getting training from these little robots that are just, they look like little laptops or something um, that are training you. Stuff goes sideways pretty quick and then you're left to your own devices after that. You have a buddy with you who is like a, like a robot fish. Um, so you are an actual fish person, like a mer, mer person, but your buddy is a robot that is in the shape of a fish. And he's got like a needle for a nose. I don't know. I don't even know. I mean, it looks like a real fish I've seen before. Uh, but I don't know the actual name of that fish. It's probably something dumb like needlefish, probably. Um, but he goes around with you, and then you have to go through these, like, you know, Metroidvania 2D levels, and you swim the whole time. So I think that's kind of cool. I dig that, you know, you're not jumping, you're not platforming, you're swimming the whole time, which is a nice little spin on things. Um, I think the art is pretty cute. Uh, and I think that the premise of being underwater and doing that sort of stuff as a Metroidvania is a good one. Um, unfortunately, this is another one that I didn't quite click with. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, but it's not a bad thing. It's not, I, you know, for, for Metroidvania is like, I, I don't think that complexity is always the thing that makes them better. So if you have a simpler, more streamlined and focused experience, I think that's fine. There is a map that was good. Um, but there's just like a lot about it that feels kind of weird and clunky. Um, didn't quite come together for me. 
for example, the character for being a little mer person, his swimming animation is just really weird. It doesn't seem, I mean, there there obviously are no mer people. I don't know for a fact what a mer person would swim like, but I don't think they would swim like what Pronti swims like. It's it's like he's he's kind of doing like a doggy paddle sort of thing, and I just feel like that's that's probably not the most efficient way of swimming underwater. It's also pretty slow. And I, uh, I kind of didn't dig that. There are ways you can dash. You, you unlock some powers pretty quickly. And that kind of makes up for it. But just in general, it just kind of feels a little clunkier and not quite as animated as I would expect from like an undersea sort of experience. I will say also there's a lot of emphasis on combat, which is kind of a mistake. Because I feel like they think the combat is the good part of this game, but is actually, for me, not the good part. Uh, it's clunky because Pronti himself, um, he can dash and stuff, and there's probably more powers that I haven't unlocked yet, but the main way that you uh, fight is you use your robot fish buddy. So, like, he's constantly, like, near you. You're swimming through these tunnels, and then your fish buddy is, like, around, and then when you push a button, uh, you can move a stick, aim a direction, push a button, and then the fish goes and stabs whatever's over there, and you have to, like, keep pushing the button. He doesn't just, like, auto-attack, so that's kind of clunky on its own. But then you get a bunch of powers um, pretty quickly after the start where he can like turn into a shield that protects you. And he also can turn into like a little buzzsaw, uh, a couple other things, um, which is, I guess, fine. It's kind of a cool idea, I guess. Uh, but number one, it makes Pronti feel kind of useless on his own. Uh, and like I said, I didn't get very far. There's probably more powers to unlock later. Maybe he has more self-defense options in the future. I don't know for sure. But the controls already are a little bit clunky and weird. And the fish itself, it sounds strange to say, but like when you turn him into the buzzsaw and you shoot him off, he just like misses a lot. And I'm like, what is the point? I don't, it's like this autonomous robot. He should be able to like go where I tell him to go. And I, I, I missed a lot and it was really kind of bumming me out because I'm, you know, the, the, the combat ramps up, you're like dodging enemy fish and you're like moving around on the screen. And then all of a sudden, like the, the, the guy you're relying on, to kill these guys for you is missing. And I'm like, what is, what is going on? Why is he missing so much? This is really weird. Um, so I don't think the combat feels as good as I would want it to feel. It doesn't feel as intuitive. And I think having the fish be your, your main source of attack is I think maybe a mistake. I think that it kind of adds an extra layer of artifice for the player to get through. It just didn't feel instinctual or comfortable. Um, and maybe it would work if they maybe refine the controls a little bit. I just, it just, I never got into a zone where I felt like, okay, cool. I am doing this stuff automatically. My hands know what to do and I'm just going through it uh, on impulse power. It always felt like a bit of a struggle and a bit of a, a wrestling match with the controls, which was not great. Beyond that, it's pretty straightforward. Like I said, like there's not a lot going on. Like you're kind of going through these tunnels and killing these monsters. Uh, the monsters, uh, you know, or the main opponents and the fighting doesn't feel great. So beyond that, there's not a whole lot of stuff to do. Um, so I don't know. I just I just didn't connect with it. I didn't. Um, I think it looks kind of cute. Underwater, I think, is a premise that we could explore more of. I would like to play more underwater games. Um, but this one just didn't feel right to me. Um, didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but I was not motivated to keep going. So kind of a bummer. Uh, it looks really cute in screenshots and it looks really cute in the videos. Um, but I think actually hands-on left me wanting a little more than it could provide. So that is Pronti, uh, another, I guess, a thumbs down, kind of a bummer on that one. Um, but we do not have all bummers this week. I know sometimes we do. Not this week. This week we have um, a game that started out like a bummer, but then it ended up being kind of a good experience. It kind of caught me by surprise. It's called Defend the Rook, uh, playing this on Xbox. 
Although I do believe it's on basically every platform. Uh, this is uh, a really strange one. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it at first, um, but I'm glad that I stuck with it because it kind of opened up over time and I think it got better and better as it went. Um, basically, the premise of Defend the Rook is that you are uh, some kind of sorcerer or magician and this queen comes to you because she needs your help. She's like, oh, I need you to help me uh, win these series of battles. And dude's like, okay, cool, but I don't leave my tower. Um, so I fight all my battles by proxy from a distance, um, which is kind of a cool idea in and of itself. So and the game is presented as though he's looking at kind of a chessboard and he's doing all of this stuff from his tower. Uh, but you're supposed to imagine that these pieces that he's moving around on the board are having a real world effect somewhere else. Cool concept. Um, you don't actually like see the real world or anything. It's all just it all just stays on the board and the dude never leaves his tower, which is fine. But, you know, I give props for the concept. So the board is presented in a, an isometric kind of angled, uh, you know, angled perspective. It's grid based. And you have four characters on the board on your side. You have the Rook. And as you might guess from a title called Defend the Rook. The Rook is like a little floating castle and you have to protect it. Now it's not helpless. It can move. And if anybody touches it, except for a boss, bosses don't count, but if any enemy touches it, they die instantly. Uh, the Rook does take damage, but they, they kill the enemy instantly. And the Rook is also able to shoot at a distance, kind of like a distance cannon. So that's cool. It's got options. It's slow. It's kind of a big target, but you know, it's not helpless and it's not like, it's not just something for enemies to pick off. It takes a little bit of doing to kill the Rook. So that's good. In addition to the Rook, you usually have three characters. Um, I eventually unlocked a couple more, uh, one more, uh, but there's more to unlock. Uh, you start off with like a fighter, a uh, mage, and a thief. So you're pretty basic archetypes. Um, but what happens is you also have some towers. Now, I've seen people describe this as tower defense. I in no way feel like this is a tower defense game, like not even remotely. You have towers. That is true. You... I guess are defending. I mean, you're defending the Rook, but that doesn't feel like a regular tower defense. Although, I mean, maybe, I guess, if you squint sideways at it. But with these towers, you have three towers, a short range, medium range, long range. You can place them um, anywhere on the board that there is a, a rock. So like you get the board, boards seem like they're randomly generated. And then each board will have a bunch of rocks on it that you cannot pass through that just present as obstacles, but you can, you can stick your tower on these things. So sometimes the, the rocks are in really ad advantageous places. Sometimes they're not, but you have to like, kind of just figure out where do I want to put my towers? And then they kind of automatically uh, run from there. Uh, and then you have a couple other things. You have like a couple little traps you can place and like one or two other little features. Um, so you, you, you set your pieces up on the board and then waves of enemies come in and then you just kind of fight them off turn base. So like all your guys go first and then, and then when you're done, all the enemies go. So like wave wave based turns, I guess, as you want to call it, which I think works fine. And at first it was like, it was like, okay. I mean, it seemed pretty simple moving characters around. The mage can obviously shoot at a distance with magic spells. The thief was really good at backstabbing, had a pretty long range. He could walk around. The fighter was kind of a tank. Uh, you know, I mean, it was all pretty par for the course, right? So I'm like, okay, this is fine. Um, but after you make a little bit of progress, what happens is you earn experience and money through playing the game just regularly. And when you finish one chunk of levels, you have the option to upgrade. And it seems like the upgrade paths are randomly uh, generated as well. I'm sure there's a limited pool, but like um, sometimes the first tier of upgrades for the hero would be uh, you know, plus one defense or something, or it, like a power, like whenever one of your enemy, your, your enemies takes damage, 
um, you gain like plus four defense the next round or something. Uh, but then if you if you restarted the game the next time, it would be totally different upgrades. It would be like, oh, take one hit for your uh, ally or, um, you know, gain plus two attack if you stay on certain certain tile or something like whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point being is that um, the upgrades for all three of your characters uh, were different every time. And so I'm like, oh, OK, well, that's interesting because you're not just doing the same hamster mill treadmill every time you have to think on the fly a little bit, which is one of my favorite things about roguelikes is that you have to kind of make do with what you've got. And once I realized that element was there, I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is actually kind of a roguelike in a sense uh, where you are taking these randomly assigned fields that you're fighting on, randomly assigned upgrades for your characters. Um, and then actually, as you progress through the, the game, I didn't realize this at first, but I did soon, uh, the levels you fight in as in which bosses you face and what battlefields you go to are also randomly assigned as well. So the bosses I fought the first time around were not the same as the bosses in the second time, which was even more uh, variety. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm starting to see how this thing is unfolding. It seemed pretty straightforward at first, but there is actually a lot more depth to it. So I, I appreciated that. And I also appreciated that as you go through the game, your characters, depending on, on the upgrades you get access to and also how you upgrade them, um, can become pretty powerful. I got a, a pretty good thief build going where he starts off as just like your regular backstabby dude. But um, by by carefully upgrading him, I was able to have him pass through any obstacles. So he was not able to be stopped by the rocks on the field or by enemies. He also, every time he walked through an enemy, he did damage to them for his full damage value. So if there was a cluster of enemies, he could walk through each one and he stabbed each one as he was passing through. Uh, he also would throw a knife um, from anywhere on the board to an enemy if any of the enemies fell into his trap. Uh, he could reset traps by standing on them to reuse them again. And he did like one other thing where, oh yeah, like if uh, if one of the towers got attacked, he would warp to the tower and defend it. So like by the time I did all these upgrades, I mean, he was like a wrecking machine. He had like like all this like upgraded attack, like two or three times more than what he started with. He was attacking three and four times around based on what enemies were doing. Um, you know, and it was really cool. It was fun because I, I'm i not going to say that it was broken, but he definitely got to be kind of OP, but in a good way where I felt like my choices were paying off and I was enjoying how effective he was. Um, there were also, you know, similar upgrade paths for the warrior and the mage. Uh, at one point I had the mage like doing AOE attacks for all of her attacks. And then every time she attacked, the towers on the field would also attack. Um, I mean, it was kind of silly to the point where like my turn would start and then like all of this like automatic damage would happen from the towers and that would trigger the, the mage and then the mage would trigger the towers back. And it was just like this like rain of fire down on the enemies. It was pretty cool. Like, I think it was really fun. Um, there are multiple difficulty levels. So anybody who thinks this doesn't sound like enough of a challenge, uh, I mean, whatever, I, I'm not here for the challenge. I'm here for fun. This to me was really fun and I appreciated, um, being able to kind of look at these, characters and figure out what was the best way to kind of um to break them in a good way like i wanted to really take advantage of their abilities and, and have some fun with it so that was good that was already good but then once i finished a couple rounds i did finish the game as in the sense of i finished all the levels but you know there's more to do there's a ton of stuff to unlock and you can even do like ascension so i don't know if you're familiar with the, the ascension concept but in a lot of run-based games once you complete the game they realize you probably want to play more or there's more things to see, more things to unlock. And so they let you do an ascension, which means you can, uh, in, in, some, in some senses, 
you take your character and all the upgrades you've got and move on to the next like difficulty tier. There might be new challenges, new bosses, but you're not doing the old stuff you just did. You're doing like a new level of difficulty, uh, new challenges. So that's fine. There's a bunch of ascensions. I don't know how many there are. Uh, I wasn't interested in more challenge. I was just really having fun playing with the characters. That was good. But I did unlock another character who ended up being a samurai, replaced the warrior. So you can only ever have the rook plus three characters at any time. But I got rid of the warrior. I mean, he was fine, but I just wanted to see what the, the samurai had. And it was pretty cool. The samurai, like the first turn, uh, every time they got attacked, it was like an automatic parry. They took no damage and attacked the enemy. Uh, they also shrugged off the first attack in terms of damage. Um, they had a lot of supplemental abilities like protecting their teammates or if you went on a rampage as if as if you attacked every single turn like their their attack would go up every single turn as long as you kept the offense up um so, you know stuff like that where i thought it was just really fun to see how powerful they could get and and what i could do now that's not to say that this game was a cakewalk i mean it's not it's not like nut crushingly hard. I mean, you're not going to like lose sleep over how hard it is, but you know, I definitely lost more than a few rounds and I did not win my very first game or anything. So you do have to get into it and learn the systems. Um, but I do appreciate that they gave you the difficulty levels and also just playing with the characters was really interesting and fun. So it was good. And, and, and the variations in play were good. Uh, I feel like the concepts were good, pretty solid all the way across. So that was all, I mean, in general, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, but there are a couple problems. So number one, I was playing on Xbox, but this feels like a Switch game to me because it's short, it's run-based. I mean, I could totally see myself playing this in bed, but the problem was the text. Um, I have not seen the Switch version. I've only seen the Xbox version, but based on what the menus look like and how much was on the screen and what the text looked like, I'm assuming it would be pretty illegible on the Switch or at least uncomfortably illegible. I can't say that for a fact, but that is my gut feeling and I feel... I, I feel like that's correct. I feel like it's probably better on a bigger screen because there's a lot going on. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I think I would like to play this on the Switch. Uh, it just seems like a better fit for a smaller screen. Um, also, I feel like the presentation is a little bit rough. Um, it's It could use a little bit more animation. It could use a little bit more clarity on the screen. For example, like I said, the, the viewpoint is isometric. You're looking at it like a chessboard from an angle. And sometimes... Um, there's just like a lot of stuff on screen. There's just like a lot of enemies. You got your traps, your towers, your characters. It just, sometimes there's just like a lot and you can't really rotate the camera. You can't, you know, move anything around. You just, you see the screen that you see. It's pretty static. And so um, sometimes it was pretty busy and I thought that was like, you know, it could use a little bit better visibility. Um, but uh, other than that, I feel like it was pretty good. I mean, I kind of, uh, I, I appreciated it more the more time I put into it. And there are a lot of unlocks to to go for. So if you want something you can grind on for a while, I think this is a good thing. For me, I, I, the other the other downside, I think, is I would have appreciated the unlocks coming a little bit quicker. Uh, I felt like the unlocks were a little bit slow. Uh, so I would have, you know, I would like to advance a little bit faster. But there's lots to play with, lots of towers. You can switch out all the characters, switch out all your traps, all your magic spells, all your towers. Uh, lots of variation, lots of things you can change. So I think ultimately it's a really good game. Does not show all its uh, cards up front. But uh, I do assure you that there is a lot more to it than you first see. And I had a pretty good experience with it altogether. All um, had a good time. I'm glad I rolled uh, quasi-rolled credits on it. I mean, I finished the game, but credits didn't roll. I don't know if you can even get credits to roll in this game. I'm not sure. You might not be able to. Um, but I think it's just really good. Really fun. Um, good concept. Good application. 
uh, a little rough presentation, but altogether, I think it's great. And if you want a, a roguelike, strategic, turn-based tactics, something a little bit different than the norm, and something that gives you something to really kind of play with in terms of character build, I think this is a good one. Uh, so once again, that was Defend the Rook, and I give that one definitely a thumbs up for sure. Okay, so I feel like I got through the main content of the show kind of in record time. I mean, obviously, Carlos is not here, and he would have brought, you know, two or three games to the show, and we'd have our our tangents and our jokes and stuff. So um, I'm burning through the show kind of quickly. But I came prepared because I knew that would happen. And in light of that, I wanted to kind of just take a few minutes and maybe talk about some things that we don't usually talk about on the show. Uh, so, for example, this is kind of a funny week because... Um, we have a lot of codes on hand, but generally when you get a code, uh, you know, as everybody knows, I'm the editor of GameCritics.com, been there for 23 years, uh, and, you know, I've been in the industry for a while. You know, it's, it's pretty common to get code, like, I don't know, uh, a week beforehand, maybe a couple days beforehand. It depends on the game. Uh, but to get codes that are, like, really far ahead of time, like two weeks ahead of time, a month ahead of time, that's not nearly as common. Uh, but for whatever reason, all the stars have aligned, and that is exactly what's happened right now. I have probably three, four, five different games that we will be covering here on uh, So Video Games, but they're all so far in advance of the embargo that I either have already played them and got done with it, or I don't want to play them yet because I want to stay a little bit fresher in my mind on those, so I'll play them a little bit closer to the embargo. Um and so what ended up happening was I, I, I played all the games that I just talked about. These are the ones that the embargo has dropped. And so I, I'm free to talk about these, Defend the Rook, Pronti, and Perseverance. But I'm like, well, I finished that in record time. I still had like half my week left. Um, and even today, I had like basically the entire day with nothing to play. So I'm like, well, it's not often that I have this free time. I mean, I usually am jamming through content for the show. And if anybody out there has their own podcast or if you've done a podcast or if you write for a website or something, you know, you know, the content mill is a thing. Like you've always got to have something in the pipe. You've always got to have something cooking. And for me and Carlos, usually for, for this show, we get codes and I schedule these shows out like two, three weeks in advance. So like, uh, I'll have an agenda plotted out for this week, next week and the week after, and I'll have all the games written down on there and I'll have all the embargo dates and I'll be like, okay, well, we're playing this this week. We're playing that next week. We're playing this other thing the next week after that. And it kind of dictates what we play. So in some ways, that's, I guess, cool because number one, getting free games is cool. Uh, always dreamed of that as a kid. And to have that be my daily reality is pretty awesome. Um, so check, dream achieved, check. That's good. Um, but it also means you're not always free to play what you want, right? Because you've got to keep the content mill going. And if you want to play something that you've already covered, it means you don't have anything to talk about on the show or sometimes we'll play something that's a larger game and we're not going to finish it in a week. Right. So like, you know, maybe it'll be some larger RPG or maybe some larger action game or something. For me recently, it was well long where I talked about it, but then I ended up playing it for like a whole other week. And I didn't want to talk about it again because I didn't really have a whole lot to say, but I was still playing it. Like I was enjoying it, wanted to finish it, had a good time and I did finish it. Uh, my review is up on GameCritics.com right now, 8 out of 10. Uh, but, you know, like it, it kind of cramps your style. Like you need to have a balance between stuff that you play for fun and stuff that you play for the show. And to be perfectly frank, I feel like that balance has has not really been balanced for me lately. It's been mostly for the show, um, not only because there's a lot of stuff to cover, but also because I have other gigs outside of Game Critics, right? So like I, 
I work with my wife. My wife has uh, her own agency that she does stuff for, and I kind of help her with that. I do freelance gigs directly. I just recently did the Logitech uh, G Adaptive Esports Tournament. You might see me there. Um, I've got some other projects going. I'm also a mentor for people uh, who are in my same field, not game-related, but otherwise. And so, you know, I also am a father. Uh, I've got a 13-year-old kid, and we homeschool, and so I've got that going on. And chickens! I've got chickens! And I've got dogs. And so there's always something to do with my time. It's pretty rare that I find myself sitting around going, huh, I've got nothing to do. What should I do? That almost never happens, right? Uh, but it does happen sometimes, almost as often as we get like a blue moon. And today was that day. I, I Like I said, we got these games ahead of time, got those knocked out for the show. Uh, kid was good. He was just kind of chilling. Chickens were fed. Uh, wife was doing her own thing. And I'm like, okay, well, I've got basically the entire day to play whatever I want. And I don't have to play anything. So now is a good time for me to kind of go through my backlog. And I'm going to be honest with you folks. I didn't have anything that I was really dying to get to. So I have a lot of stuff in the backlog. I'm sure you all do too. Uh, quite a bit of stuff. I mean, it's kind of shameful how much stuff I got in the backlog. So I was taking a look at this stuff and thinking, okay, um, I don't have anything that I really, really, really want to get to. I mean, I do, but I don't want to start anything huge right now. Um, I was kind of in the mood just to do a little sampling. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I get in these moods sometimes where I'll save up a bunch of games. I don't know. Maybe this is maybe this is like a, an editor thing or maybe this is like a reviewer thing. But um, I'll save a bunch of games like I'll buy them on sale, like, uh, you know, get something like for a dollar, two dollars, five dollars here and there. And I'll just save them. And I'm like, you know, this game looks interesting. I would not have paid full price for it, but I would pay two, three, four, five dollars for it. And then I'll just save up a bunch of those and then I'll just wait for a day like today. And I'll like, OK, I I'm not convinced that all of these games are going to be my jam, but I did gamble a couple bucks on them. And I'm just going to go through them one by one to see if any of these stick. And I'll give them each a shot. And if they don't stick, then okay, no problem. I just burn through them and get them off my hard drive and whatever. But if I do find something, then it's great. I bring it to the show or I keep playing it, whatever. And today was one of those days. Today was one of those like burner days where I just lined up a bunch of stuff that I got on sale. And I just went through it one by one by one by one. And I'm going to just tell you about what that day looked like for me. So uh, starting off, uh, it was mostly an Xbox day today. I think, uh, yeah, almost, almost all Xbox, which was fine. Uh, first thing up was nuclear throne. I have heard about this game for ages and it was never on sale. Uh, it's a 2d top down roguelike that I've been wanting to play for a million years. Uh, I think it came from Vlambeer, I believe, uh, Rami Ismail's company. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it was anyway. Uh, really well-received indie 2D roguelike. I love roguelikes. It was kind of a twin-stick shooter sort of a thing. Uh, very curious about this one for a long time. Finally got it on sale after a really long time. I mean, a, a couple of years at least. And gave that a shot. And I just didn't care for it. I just did not like it. Uh, the, the A lot of weird effects going on screen, which I found to be kind of unpleasant. And I'm sure that at the time, it was maybe fresher and more exciting. But I feel like in... The years since its release, I've played probably a dozen games that are just like it, but different. And it didn't really click with me in terms of what it was doing. Um, I think if I had played it at the time it was new, I probably would have got into it a lot more. But like I said, I've played a bunch of stuff that is basically the same since then. And it just did not stick with me. Uh, it just It just didn't seem to offer anything I hadn't seen already a bunch of times. So bailed out of that pretty quickly. Moved on to Atrio. The Dark Wild. Uh, this is one 
where the screenshots looked absolutely interesting and captivating. I don't even know what kind of game this was. It just looked so fascinating from the screenshots. Like this weird kind of dystopian, dark, I don't know, just like this strange imagery, like kind of robotic, kind of not. Is it a factory? Is it a platformer? I don't know what's going on, but just like the name and the picture just really sold me. I think I bought it for two, three, four bucks. And I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to try it because it just seems really fascinating. Uh, long story short, I still don't know what kind of game it is. I have no idea. I have no idea what I played. Uh, the tutorial was awful. One of the worst tutorials I've ever seen where this game looks like really unconventional from the start. So you don't really even have a point of reference to work from. And you have this little character who's got like a, I don't know, like a VR gauntlet on his hand or something, kind of an isometric perspective, top down. And the tutorial is you're left to wander in this area and the instructions are on the ground, like written on the ground. And so you start by instruction number one, which says move with the left stick. Okay, got it. But then you like, you don't really quite know where to go. You soon find number two. And then it really quickly gets into this whole like, oh, this is a thing and move this thing and drag this box and put this thing. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I don't even know what's happening here. Like, um, and I'm supposed to progress the tutorial by walking, like physically walking through the space without it making sure that I know what I'm doing and without really being clear about what it's trying to tell me. And so I just kind of wander through the tutorials. They're all written on the ground that I'm like, okay, I don't quite get what's going on here. I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, so that was a miserable tutorial. I did not figure out what I was supposed to do. And at that point I was like, I just, I just don't care. I spent two bucks on this game and I'm already frustrated and I'm already confused, which says to me, I don't have much to look forward to after this point. So fuck it. Uh, deleted that thing. Did not look back. I couldn't even tell you what kind of game it was supposed to be. So that was a bummer. Uh, moved on to something I've had my eye on for a while, which was really intriguing to me. It's called A Place for the Unwilling. Uh, this is another one where I didn't know a lot about it, but the screenshots were really compelling. Um, I think the title was also really compelling. It's really kind of enigmatic and interesting. And again, got it on for sale. Got all these for sale. Uh, so it's kind of another isometric 2D game uh, where you play a person whose friend has just killed themselves, but they are talking to you in a dream and they want you to come to this faraway city, take over their business and save their family and save the city. And they, they're very vague about what's all going on, probably because they're dead. Uh, so I guess in that sense, any information is pretty great. But you get there and, oh man, it just does not get off on the right foot. It just is one of those games where they want you to kind of just figure everything out for yourself. And they do give you some tutorial which is better than the game uh, that I just played before this Atrio, but it just, it just wasn't enough of a start. Like it's just really slow. I'm just trying to figure out what is the rhythm of this game. I would have appreciated more of a, a good beginning just to kick things off. The, so what I think was intriguing about it was there is a cosmic horror slash Lovecraftian element buried, buried under the surface of this. Like you're not fighting Cthulhu. There's no tentacles off the bat or anything. Like it's very creepy. Everything is unsettling. Everything is strange and you have to kind of just go around and figure out what's going on. You read the newspaper to find out the trends of the city. You have to earn money by um, buying and selling items, which to me was a huge bummer because I never want to do that. That is the most boring thing in the world to me is buying low and selling high in a game. That sucks. Um, but you have to just talk to people and figure out what's going on. But there was like a lot of it's, it's the game where it's like it tells you nothing 
and you're going to miss things. You're going to get things wrong. You're going to like, you're going to time things wrong. You're going to miss quests. You're going to not know where people are. And they want you to just kind of sally forth and just kind of get through it. And whatever experience you have is, is what you have, which I guess is okay. But honestly, I didn't feel like I even had found my feet at first. And so I, I was just like, okay, I want to, I want to know what I'm doing. What's the most important thing. Do I need to do the buying and selling now? Well, why is this not in a, a friendlier interface? There's a lot of walking around the city, which I think is dumb. Although I come to find out later on that timing your travel is a big part of the game because they know you don't have enough time to get to everywhere. The city's huge. And so just figuring out what you're going to do and where you're going to go is a big part of your day. Although I didn't realize that at first until it was too late. And I, then I realized I had fucked everything up and I didn't want to start over. So that, um, I just, I just, I'm just not in that kind of space anymore. Like, I don't feel like I have that much room in my life for those games where they're like, we know what's going on um, and we're not going to tell you. And if you're a very diligent player who really wants to get into our game, you'll uncover this for yourself and figure it out. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I've got, <coughs> excuse me, 85 kajillion games to play. Um, I'm a busy editor. I got a busy life. And if you want me to get into your game, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to meet you halfway. But I'm not going to do this thing where some person somewhere knows what they want to do and they're just giving you a slice of that vision and they hope that you find it compelling enough, compelling enough to to go all the way and to dig deep and to figure out the puzzles and to try and error and try again. And I'm just I'm just not in that space anymore. Maybe I would have been when I was 16. Maybe I would have been when I was 24. Uh, but I am I am 47 now and I do not have time for that bullshit. So this game, unfortunately, was not for me, despite the fact that I like the premise. I like Lovecraft stuff. I like the graphics. It's just, a re it's got a good vibe to it. I think the vibe to it is really perfect and on point. Um, but I'm just not going to sit through this kind of go nowhere mechanic where I'm just wasting time and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not getting anywhere. And I especially don't want to buy and sell. That's just fucking stupid and boring. So, um, yes, I have definite thoughts on that. And those are my thoughts. So bummer. Um, I thought this one might be it, but it was not it. All right, next up after that was the demo for a game that I almost bought called Megalan 11 or Megalan, M-E-G-A-L-A-N, Megalan 11. Uh, this was a, I'm not even sure, some kind of a survival game where you have a couple of aliens who crash land on a planet and then they need to survive. You've got to work together, do some team mechanics. Um, I don't think it's multiplayer. I think you just kind of manage all the aliens on your own. They're these cute little chubby dudes with giant fishbowl helmets. It was pretty appealing looking kind of abstract where just the land is kind of orangey and you're kind of doing these chores. I wasn't sure exactly how this was going to play out. Um, and I'm glad that I tried the demo rather than bought the game because I thought it was fucking terrible. Um, basically worst intro ever where there's just like a lot of talk. You can't rush through it. You don't know what's going on. There's nothing happening on the screen. They're just forcing you to get through this like dialogue of people going, oh, we're crashing. Oh, no. Uh, fix the ramostat and pump the gas and flort the, flort the flagels. And it's just really boring, just dumb stuff that doesn't mean anything. And then you crash and then you have to walk to a base. And I'm like, well, why we crash landed on this planet? Why is there a base? Who is it our base? Is it a random base? Like what's going on? I don't understand what's happening. But they don't bother telling you. Uh, they're just like, get to it. And you get there. And like, first off, none of the buttons do what you think they're going to do. Like, I, I 
I take issue with developers who change buttons for no reason, because on the Xbox, uh, most of the time, A is your confirmation. Uh, but they do not do that. I think it was like uh, X and then also like Y was back when usually it's B. And I'm like, why why change the buttons? Like 99% of games, it's A and B you're using, not X and Y. Why would you do that? Um, so it just felt really weird and clunky to control just, just on how they mapped it to controller. And then it's like, I just have no idea what I'm doing. The, the tutorial was awful. It was like, get inside the 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 base and uh, start the start the generator or something. I'm like, okay, how? Like, what am I what am I even doing? I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, it's 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 a really common theme where indie developers again. I mean, oh God, I feel like I'm fucking broken record saying this. They know what they're doing because it is their game. It is their vision. It is their baby. They've worked on it for two years. They know what their game is. Great. I do not know what that game is. I do not have that vision. I don't have that mental information. So. I find often with indies, um, it's, it's usually indies because they don't have the staff. They don't have the, like the corporate structure to kind of like, um, acclimate their games to being more widely accepted. Uh, and so like, you know, they'll, they'll put their game out and they forget what it feels like to be a person who does not know what this game is. They forget what it feels like to see their game through new eyes. And so I absolutely did not understand what I was doing. Um, tutorial taught me nothing. I had no clue about what was going on. And, and as you may have gathered, I'm just not the kind of person who is going to struggle through something like this. Like you want me to get in your game. You want me to play your game. Just, just tell me, tell me what's going on. Just make it real clear. Um, and I just, oh man, I just, I hate tutorials that suck. I, I hate people that don't explain their mechanics. I do not like getting into a game and having no idea what to do because there's like a billion games. I'm fucking 47. I've been playing games since games have existed, right? So there's like all sorts of genres, all sorts of mechanics, all sorts of different approaches, all different ways to do things. And so plopping something in front of me and saying, have at it is like, well, what the fuck is even going on? Like, give me some context. Um, it could be anything and I have no idea. So I, I made it like not far at all in this. I just got really frustrated about, you know, if you're not going to take the time to get me into your game, I'm not going to give you the time. I'm not going to give you like, like my literal lifespan is what we're talking about here. We are not, we are not infinite beings. Like I've said this many times, we are not vampires that live in a basement living infinitely playing all the video games uh you know i only have so much time on this earth and you were asking me to give you some of my literal lifespan uh but i'm not going to do that if you're not going to do me the fucking courtesy of telling me how to play your game so i bounced on Meg Meg megalan 11 almost instantly i'm like you just you just don't even know what you're doing i'm not going to waste my time uh sorry got a little heated there pardon me uh after that i played evasion from hell this one looked like it could have been a fun one where you start off uh, at, the, I guess, the lowest level of hell, and then you want to obviously escape because who wants to be in hell? I don't think anybody does. That uh, is probably a pretty shitty place to be. So it looked like a first-person platforming game, which is already kind of problematic from the get-go. But I like the concept of escaping from hell, and I figured, oh, you know, I do like to jump. I like to platform. And sometimes it's done well. You never know. Sometimes it works. Wasn't super keen about it here, though. I mean, it started okay, uh, but what happens was you you begin at a level. Level design is already kind of unclear from the get-go, where I'm not exactly 100% sure where to go, but I figured it out pretty quickly. Uh, start making the jumps. I do the first couple jumps, no problem. They do not explain literally anything, and so you have to grab these little boxes suspended in the air, like Mario-style like question mark boxes kind of thing. 
which is weird. I mean, you're in hell, dude. Like maybe do some hell theming or maybe do some appropriate visual design. Like it's just like you're in this snowy area and and then there's there's a box uh, floating in the sky. So you grab the box and you have to figure out that grabbing the box lets you jump again. So they didn't tell you that. I mean, I figured it out pretty quickly, but okay, weird. But then I, I figured that out. Get to the next couple platforms. Uh, there's a pretty far jump. I miss the box. I fall to my death. And it sets me all the way back to literally the beginning of the level. So I don't know if there's checkpoints later on. I sure as fuck hope so, because it would be hell to have to play this game and never have any checkpoints. Uh, but I tried it again a couple times. I, I missed some of the jumps because again, first person platforming and I'm like, okay, no, I'm not, <laughs> I am not going to be sent back to the fucking beginning of level one. I mean, to be clear, I didn't finish level one, but I'm like, I'm not going to be sent back to the absolute beginning just to do that whole shit over and just fall again and then go all the way back to the beginning. Like, no, I, I expected to be put back to like the last, last jump I missed, or maybe even the jump before that, or maybe the last 30 seconds or something. Uh, so I was like, fuck, no, I'm not doing this. No, no, no. This is, this is, this is certainly hell and I am not going to be here. So I, I got out of that one pretty quickly. Uh, let's see. What did I play after that? After that, I played an embargo game, uh, which is not able to be talked about for another, I want to say at least two weeks. Uh, this one ended up being pretty good, which is kind of a bummer because I can't talk about it right now. It was a, uh, 2d platformer. Kind of like a Metroidvania, but pretty light duty Metroidvania, which is fine. I don't really need those super, super deep Metroidvanias like I mentioned in the Pronti segment. Um, can't say much more than that. Can't tell you what it is, uh, but I thought it was pretty good. Uh, pretty straightforward. More focus on the action. And I will say the one thing that I really liked about it, the biggest, the biggest pro for me about this embargo game was it was not a giant open world. It was discrete levels that were pretty small. And so you didn't have to manage this giant fucking map about how the map connected to each other and how you get from point A to point B and all this shit. Like, you know, there's a million roguelikes or not roguelikes. I'm sorry. A million metrovanias that do that. And it's okay to do something different. I think it's okay to just change it up a little bit. So I really liked the discrete level based approach. Thought that worked well. Um, Cool graphics, good controls. It was fun. Um, I don't know that I'm going to stick with it because I don't know that I'm in the mood for that exactly right now, but I thought it was really well done and I think that people would like it. Um, but I cannot tell you what it is right now. We will talk about it in next week's show. Nope. In two weeks. Oh God, man. It's so strange. We're getting all these codes so far ahead of time. We'll talk about it in two weeks. So we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, after that, uh, only one more game. So imagine, so again, This is me playing all these games in one day, right? Like playing these, this sucks, moving on, delete, play the next game. This sucks, moving on, delete. So this is, that's what my day was basically. Um, Final game of the day was Mr. Prepper on Xbox again. I had high hopes for this one. I really did because as I mentioned earlier, I really like the 2D ant farm style of play. Uh, This is one where you are a guy trapped in this kind of like shitty town where the government is like really breathing down your neck. Uh, they want you all to be good citizens and love the president and, you know, be patriotic and do what we say and be our slaves sort of thing. And so your guy wants to get out of here. Right. Which makes sense. I, I feel that right now. Um, so you start the game with your house is already built and you have to dig a secret room underneath your house. You've got a workbench, magical workbench where you can craft all sorts of things. I should probably get a workbench for myself. I wonder 
I wonder if I can craft things in real life if I got a workbench myself. I bet I could craft a couple things. I don't know that it's as magical as they make it look in games. But you craft a workbench, you dig a hole underneath your house, and you hide it with this little hatch so you can get into it from your living room and you cover it up with a rug. Otherwise, you've got a little master plan and they walk you through it. And I'm like, okay, cool. I, I could go for this. I could go for this ant farm, like sim thing where you're building rooms underneath your house, you're collecting resources, you're, you're, you're crafting things, um, with a time limit, you know, again, kind of like the time management genre. But again, I bounced out of this one and it was kind of a bummer because I, I felt like it was almost there for me really close. But the problem was like, it was asking me to do too much. I think there's a fine line when you're doing one of these management games where you, you want to have some nice details. You want to be able to, to dig in a little bit, but for me, I don't want to get too crazy deep into it. Right. So, um, for example, you have a sleep meter and a food meter, which is fine. I mean, that's pretty expected, but I felt like both of those were dropping pretty quickly. And especially with the food meter, you had to go to your refrigerator, open up the refrigerator. There's like a variety of foods in there. You have to get the foods out. Sometimes you just need some of them. And so you have to divide the stack of food. I don't need four cabbages. I just need two. So I'm going to divide this stack of four into two stacks of two, take the ones I need. Then I go back to my stove. And then there's like a series of recipes, make sure I have the right vegetables. And then I need to go to my sink and get water from the sink and then bring the water back to the stove and then put the water and the vegetables into the pot and cook it. And then you eat it. That was a lot of fucking steps just for like basic sustenance. Right. And it didn't even fill my food bar all the way up. And I used up all of my resources for soup. And I'm like, okay, now what? I am already faced within the first minutes of gameplay with, with running out of a vital resource that I need to continue. And I don't exactly know how to get there to do it. Now, one of the first tasks in this game is like, oh, they want you to have a farm, uh, like, I don't know, like a hydroponic, you know, marijuana style farm underneath your, your house where you can grow food to be self-sufficient. Great. And I'm guessing that's why they thought you wouldn't need more food in your fridge because they would get you off and running. But it's like, you have to make a ladder to get down to where your house was. And I think I ran out of resources to make the ladder and I wasn't sure where to get some. And then it was dark and I needed to make a light, but I didn't have any glass to make a lamp and I wasn't sure where to get some. And I'm like, well, it's dark. I can't get down there. So I can't plant my dirt to get my cabbage growing underneath my house. And then I ran out of food and I'm not sure where to get more food. And then I'm like, okay, well, this is not working. Maybe I'll do one of the other side quests going on. And one of the side quests is go to the forest and meet someone there to, to uh, talk about getting plant seeds or something. So I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. So I go to the forest, you click on a menu, go to a different location, get there, and there's nobody there. And I don't know where to go. There's like alternate paths through the forest. The whole time I'm getting tired, I'm getting hungry. I'm lost in the forest. Uh, I eat a couple berries, but it barely gives me any sustenance back. And I'm just like running out of everything. And everything just feels like 10 steps too much. Like I need it to be a little bit less less minutia oriented. Like I, it would be great if I just had a pot of soup in my fridge and just ate soup, right? Like that's enough. You got food. You got to keep that food meter up. I get it. I don't want to have to get the dirt, grow the food, harvest the food, bring it back to my fridge, keep it in the fridge, put it in a stack, get it out of the stack, bring it back to my stove, chop it up, get the water from the sink, bring that to the stove, cook that up, and then eat that. And then you only get like a third of a fucking meter. Like that took me a long time. And I felt like that was a lot of work and a lot of steps and not a lot of return. I'm sure you get more nutritious meals later, whatever. 
But like, I'm just like, okay, so this is how the game is starting. And I already feel like I'm drowning in details that are not fun. Uh, and it's just, it's too much already. So it, it sucked because I like the concept. I, I'm in the mood for a 2D ant farm game, a time management game. I could really go for one of those right now. But it just was, I was already getting the sense of like, this is going to be way, 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 way more detail oriented than I want it to be. Um, it just goes down the rabbit hole too far for me, which is kind of a bummer. So I, I got out of that one and then I was done. And that got me to the end of my, my burner day where I bought all these over the course of a couple months on sale, uh, saved them up because I knew there was going to be a day like this eventually, uh, hoped for the best, hoped some of these would land. None of them did, but you know, that's okay. That's what happens. Um, if I really thought they were going to stick, I probably would have gotten to them sooner. I think all of these were, were like 50-50 at best. And again, I bought them on sale, so it wasn't like a huge loss. I mean, I don't like to waste money. I'm not a money waster. Uh, so it's kind of a bummer that I spent money on these to begin with. But, you know, that's just how it goes. Sometimes you got to risk a little bit uh, to see if maybe you can get a good return on that investment. And unfortunately, none of those panned out this time around. That's okay. There will be other days. There will be surprise hits. There will be interesting things. Um, this is just par for the course, basically. And I, I would be lying if I didn't say I had a lot of other days like this where I'll just sit down, get a cup of coffee, burn through five, 10, 15 games in a day, and none of them stick. And that's just the way it goes sometimes. That's just part of being a busy video game critic. So there you go. That was a little bit of a peek behind the scenes of what my burner day was like and the stuff that I do to uh, help find content for the show and for GameCritics.com. Uh, okay, so that is the main portion of the show. There's the extra portion. At this point, I would like to give shout-outs to people who have uh, retweeted the show. I'm always grateful for that. Shout-out to Zolbrod. Shout-out to Christoph Minemeyer, who is Dr. Funfrock. And shout-out to Adderblack39, our always hero. He always retweets. Thank you very much to all of you guys. Uh, for sharing. It is very much appreciated. Also, if anybody would like to give us a review on like iTunes or Stitcher or any of the podcast apps that you listen to, that would be great. Um, and there is a little bit left in the show. We're not quite done here yet. Um, we always do the one last thing before we go, which is not video game related, but it's always TV and movie related. And that is absolutely what we're going to talk about uh, right now. All right, so one more thing before we go. Actually, two more things. Uh, what have I been watching this week? Oh, Poker Face. Uh, Poker Face, starring Natasha Lyonne, is on Peacock. And I wasn't sure what this was about from the get-go, but once we got into it, it pretty clearly and pretty quickly revealed itself to be kind of a homage to Columbo, which <laughs> was not what I was expecting. Uh, kind of surprised by this. I, I hope that people listening to the show are familiar with Columbo. I mean, he's on a lot of memes. Um, he gets referenced a lot. Uh, but in case you don't know, Columbo was a detective show. Oh man, I want to say it was from the seventies. I couldn't be getting it wrong. I'm pretty sure it was from the seventies and it was starring actor Peter Falk, who also played the grandfather in the princess bride. And he played a bunch of stuff in the seventies or the eighties, a pretty well-known dude. But the Columbo thing, for those that don't know, he was a detective and he was real sharp and he always caught the guy. But his thing was he played dumb all the time. He had this big um, brown trench coat, had this rumple trench coat. He had a cigar, I believe. He had some uh, messed up hair. It looked like he was kind of just like rolling out of bed or something. Did not seem like somebody that you would have to really watch out for. But he was uh, surprisingly sharp. And so his, his shtick was 
he would just kind of bumble around and ask these like random questions. He always had a reason for asking, but it always came off as really random because he was trying to get the bad guy off guard. Like he's always trying to catch a murderer or something. And so he'd always be like, oh, what about this? And what about this? And and then he'd go to leave and he'd be like, oh, wait, 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 one more thing, one more thing. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And he always just seemed like he didn't have his shit together. And people always like really thought that he was just this bumbling fool. But then by the end of the episode, it revealed always that like all the questions he asked had a point and that he was actually lulling the crook into a false sense of security. And he always got his man at the end of the show. And it was just, a, you know, it was a thing. It was a thing. Big thing. Super popular show. I've watched it many times uh, when I was younger. My grandma loved it. And we I'd watch it with my grandma. She is gone now. Uh, but we had many good times watching Columbo and Peter Falk. So obviously other people love Columbo as well. And I think probably Natasha Leone liked Columbo. Um, we started watching the show on Peacock. And from the get-go, it was like a shock because the font they use for the show, I was like, wait a minute, this looks like 70s, early 80s font. Um, maybe that sounds really weird, but like I've got a pretty good eye for fonts and the color and the style of the lettering was like, what the hell? This is like a throwback. What's going on? That's so strange. They would pick this. Um, soon after it's revealed that she is also like a schlub. She's very much like uh, Peter Falk and Columbo. She dresses in these random, really bizarre outfits. More on that in a second. Um, and she kind of just walks around, asks these random questions. Seems like she doesn't know what's happening, but she's really, really very sharp. And there's also a magical realism hook to the show. Well, I guess I don't know, maybe not magic, but anyway, her 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 shtick is that she knows with 100% certainty when someone is lying. Now, she may not know what they're lying about, and she may not know what it's in reference to or anything, but if someone says, like, a direct statement, like, oh, you know, my name is Carlos Rodella, she'll be like, no, you're lying. I know that's a lie. Oh, well, my name is Brad Galloway. Okay, that's true. Like, she knows, I guess, just from, like, reading people's tells or just a vibe. They don't really go into it too much in the show, and it really doesn't matter. Um, it's kind of just, like, a, a, a premise to get the show going. So knowing that she 100% knows for a fact when someone is lying, that's what kind of kicks off every episode. They also start each episode with a murder and then kind of um, then go back into uh, a flashback and then they, they go forward. So you always see the crime first and you know exactly who did it and why or how. Um, but then you have to figure out how she's going to catch them. So the real show is it's not a whodunit. It's a how do you catch them sort of a show which is interesting. I can't remember if Columbo did that or not. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but uh, it's really interesting to know everything up front. You know what's going on. You know who the murderer is. It's just about how does Natasha Leone put those pieces together and how often does her power of knowing when someone is lying come into play. And it's, it's cool because she doesn't always rely specifically on that. Like it's not just she's a human lie detector the whole time. Because um, people lie about stuff all the time and about many different things. And so there's a lot of static going on. She's also just really clever. Like she knows people and she can put pieces together really well. And she often thinks about things. And so I think it's a really cool show. The other thing that I think is really cool about it is kind of the, the rumpled aspect that I mentioned earlier. Uh, she is not sexy in this show at all. Like she's not playing this with sex appeal. Her hair is fucked up and looks dirty. She like lives out of her car. She wears like these random weird clothes. Like she is not in any way trying to be sexually appealing to anyone. And I think that's incredibly refreshing because she is just a female person who is doing her life and going about her business and solving crimes. And at no point is like a low cut top or, you know, high heels or anything part of that. She is just a person. 
And I think it's so awesome that we get to see someone uh, of the female persuasion in this light where they are not concerned about the male gaze. They are not concerned about looking hot. She just gets up, rolls out of bed, whatever hair looks like it looks like and whatever sweater she's got nearby she puts on and she doesn't fucking care what it looks like and she's a wreck but it's awesome because that's what people are that's what people do and it's 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 really refreshing to see a female character on screen who not only is smart and capable catches the bad guys every single time but also is just not about the sex appeal which is just it's kind of it it shouldn't be a revelation but it kind of is a revelation um so i i think that's awesome I love that very much. I think the show is great. We are burning through episodes and it sucks because we're going to be out of episodes before we're uh, before even a week. I mean, I think we're watching like two, three episodes a day and just really, really enjoying it. I think uh, Natasha Leone does a great job. They've had a lot of guest stars, like really famous stars from uh, the 80s usually um, just kind of pop up and you're like, you know, you're kind of like playing spot the cameo kind of a thing. And they also have a lot of really cool little jokes in the writing. For example, there's a lot of references to other things. In one of the episodes, they reference um, the USA TV show Burn Notice. They say that someone is a Michael Weston. And if you've seen that show, he's a detective who's also a spy. Uh, Cool show. Loved Burn Notice. And it was cool. They gave a shout out to that. They name check like Christopher Cross, who was like a musician in the 80s. There's a group of people who they call the Fletchers. Uh, which is a reference to Murder, She Wrote. The main character of that was Jessica Fletcher, um, played by Angela Lansbury. Uh, They reference Okja, the Korean movie, uh, which was a a great movie. Um, And so that has a big role to play in that particular episode. So they do a lot of like these meta references to where um, if you are up with pop culture or older references like 80s pop culture, you're like, oh, 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 they're, they're, they're name dropping all these things. And it's so cool that they're kind of like tying these things. And it almost feels like they live in the same world that we live in, um, which is kind of cool. So definitely a thumbs up to Poker Face. Uh, I wasn't sure what it was. Wasn't sure if it was going to be my jam. But the whole family is digging it. And I we're going to be out of episodes before the next time I record uh, Soviet Games again, which will be a bummer. But hopefully it'll get renewed. And I think it's great. So check that out for sure. Now. Uh, this brings me to my spoiler warning. The only thing I've got left in the show is to talk about the end of The Last of Us, the TV series. Um, watched the whole thing with my wife uh, after that. It reignited a lot of the takes, the hot takes, the bad takes, the weird takes. And it's a really contentious topic, specifically the ending. Um, it was notorious for sparking a lot of controversy when it was just a game. And now that the show has ended in basically the exact same way, uh, a lot of that same controversy has popped up that I want to kind of just take a minute to talk about. So um, this is your spoiler warning. There will be no more content after this. It's going to be this topic, uh, my talking about the end of The Last of Us, and then just the sign off. You're not going to miss anything if you bounce now. If you don't want to be spoiled on The Last of Us, the game or the show, since it's the same ending, Uh, please bounce now. Do not listen. Um, If you don't care or you've seen it already, you played it already, or you just want to hear what I have to say, then please, please go ahead and keep listening. And uh, of course, send in your thoughts and comments, your feedback. Uh, But this is your final, final, final spoiler warning for the ending of The Last of Us, which is both the ending of the TV show and the game. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds in case you are scrambling to stop this podcast from playing and here we go. Final spoiler warning. Cool. Good, good, good. Okay. All right. So, excuse me, the last of us, um, boy, 
It is now the center of conversation again, or at least it will be for the next couple of days, um, thanks to the HBO TV series, uh, which is now completed. Um, And like I said, when the game dropped, the ending was just like a firestorm. It was just, oh boy, I remember just the discourse. I remember the chats, all the angry arguments, the everybody taking a side. Um, You know, uh, basically, just to kind of recap, in case you haven't, I mean, if, if you haven't seen it, you probably shouldn't be listening to this, but just anyway, uh, basically what happens is uh, Ellie, the, the girl in The Last of Us, is the only person who is immune to the cordyceps fungus, and Joel is uh, ostensibly taking her to a medical lab where they will create a vaccine from her. Uh, they get there. And what they don't realize is that she has to actually be killed in order for this vaccine to be hopefully made. And so in the game, what ends up happening is Joel, uh, the, the, the dadish character, ends up killing everybody at the hospital. You get Ellie out of there. You take her back. You go back to your settlement. And along the way, she's like, oh, so what happened? And he makes up a bunch of stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, they didn't need your blood. And it was fine. And. And, um, you know, they didn't, they, it was whatever. It was fine. We just bailed and it's fine. The, the va- vaccine doesn't work and it's cool. We're just going to go back and live our life. And she's like, is that true? Are you lying to me? And he's like, no, 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 this is totally true. It's a lie. It's totally a lie. But he lied to her, um, uh, because he didn't want her to get killed by these scientists. And, you know, at the end of the game, it's like <clears throat> in the game, you, there's a look on Ellie's face and, you're not quite sure. They leave it open-ended, right? Like, you don't know, does she believe Joel? And is she buying the lie? Does she know that he's lying, but that um, she lets it go? What does she really think about it? You know, like, it's kind of just left open-ended, right? And when the game ended, uh, it was a firestorm, literal firestorm, because half the people were like, of course I would have saved Ellie because it was stupid to let her die. Uh, because I'm a parent or because I don't agree with people getting killed for this or like whatever. There's a bunch of, bunch of reasons. Uh, the other side of it was like, fuck Joel. Um, he took away her autonomy. She wanted to be the cure and he took that choice away from her. Um, okay. So kind of the same thing mirrored in the series, right? I mean, of course everybody is entitled to their opinion. Um, but a common thread and really the thread that really prompted me to, to talk about this in the depth that I will is that, I see this often thread of like, Joel is the most evil character of all time. He's so evil. His evil eclipses anything that anybody else does in video games. It's just, it's so terrible. He takes away Ellie's autonomy and he dooms the human race to be vulnerable to cordyceps fungus. And he, you know, is selfish and this is all about him being a dad. It's not about Ellie and you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of things going on here, but like, I mean, for me, it was even to the point of where people were like, uh, again, spoiler, spoiler for The Last of Us Part Two. If you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and leave. I'm going to wait for a minute. I'm just about to spoil Last of Us Part Two. Please bail. Okay. Um, so Joel gets killed pretty early in The Last of Us Part Two, and I'm seeing people saying he deserved it. Like it's a really brutal, like uncomfortably graphic scene. Which I mean, I'm not a prude. I'm not a shrinking violet. And even for me, I'm like, I don't really want to be watching this right now. Uh, I think this is too graphic and unnecessary for me. Um, But I've seen people say he deserved it and he should have even gotten worse because of what he did at the end of Last of Us. And I'm like, okay, that's 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 crazy. That's a little bit out of hand. You're taking this a little bit too far. Um, And I get it that people see Joel as like the ultimate example of the patriarchy, of control, of evil. Um, 
I get it. I get those opinions. I understand them. But I think that these are incorrect and also pretty unfair. Um, I'm going to keep this discussion to mostly just the TV series since this is there were some changes um, and there are some slight differences. So I'm not talking about the game. Uh, that's a whole separate discussion. I'm going to talk about just the TV series here and about why Joel, I don't see him as the most evil person who's ever existed and why a lot of this stuff is not as clear cut as people want to make it. It's not it's not as black and white as they they make it sound. Joel is not that evil and the situation is not that simple. Okay, so let me just a minute to like gather my thoughts here. So, okay. Um, so to begin with, many of the takes are feeling that Joel takes away Ellie's autonomy. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of putting forward, she wanted to be the cure. She wanted to help humanity. That was her choice, uh, you know, with, to do with the chemicals in her body or whatever, and that Joel takes it away. But I disagree. Uh, that is not correct. Uh, in the television series, and again, talk about the television series here. Uh, it is very clear that Ellie thinks that her blood is the key to stopping the fungus. Um, she uses it uh, in episode six. There's a little boy who is infected with the zombie or the, the fungus and she cuts herself and like puts her blood on his cut to try to like use it as like an antibiotic. Right. So she often thinks it's her blood. They mention it many times in the show where it's my blood. My blood is special. My blood is this and that. And, they, and she thinks it's her blood. At no point anywhere in this TV series does she say that she understands her brain must be removed and dissected in order for these doctors to maybe come up with a cure? She never says that. It is not her understanding. Um, she does not know she's going to be killed as part of the cure. Uh, further evidence, uh, in the final episode of the series, Marlene, who is one of the Fireflies, who is one of the people who is getting the medical team together, who is going to be dissecting Ellie, says, she specifically says, Clearly, and with no doubt, she kept the true nature of this procedure from Ellie. She did not tell Ellie she was going to be killed. She did not say she's going to be removing her brain and dissecting that. Ellie does not know at any point that she is about to die by going through with this procedure. With this information, which is which is which is incontrovertible, it is clear as day. There is no black or white. There is no there's no gray about this. There is black and white about this. There's no gray. Ellie does not know. With knowing this as the viewer, there is no possible way that Ellie has enough information to make an informed choice. She has been lied to uh, by the Fireflies and by Marlene and by the medical people. Um, she does not know she's going to be killed. She does not know she is a sacrifice. She has not consented to this. When they are in the hospital in the final episode, um, the last thing we see right, right before all the shit goes down, Joel and Ellie are coming to the hospital and they get knocked out by a concussion grenade. Somebody was like behind them and they threw a grenade. They both get knocked out. When Joel wakes up, Ellie is not in the room. She's already in like the OR operating room. She's already being prepped for surgery and she's already under anesthetic. She's already knocked out. So again, she has not um, talked about anything. We haven't seen any scene where she's going through with this procedure. Like the last thing we know is that she thinks her blood's going to be drawn and then she gets knocked out and then she is unconscious. So at no point have we had Ellie say, yes, I consent to give my brain to science or whatever. So before Joel goes on his killing spree uh, of all the scientists and stuff, he wants to see Ellie. Like he wakes up, Marlene is there. He's like, hey, I want to see her. She's like, no, you can't see her. It's obvious that Marlene does not want to let him see her. Uh, he doesn't get the chance to talk to her. Uh, he doesn't want to give um, 
Joel the opportunity to talk to Ellie about this, to let her know she's going to be killed. Uh, by extension, she does not want Ellie to have the opportunity to say no, because if she did want Ellie to have the chance to say no, she would have told her what the process involved. She's had infinite chances to talk to Ellie uh, before they go off on this journey about what this process would be. And at no point did she tell her. So Marlene obviously does not want Ellie to say no. And Ellie can't say no now because, number one, she doesn't know what's about to happen. And number two, she's already unconscious. So, I mean, real talk, I think a very solid argument can be made that if Joel had had the chance after he wakes up from the concussion grenade to go and talk to Ellie in the hospital and say, hey, um, these people are going to take out your brain. They think that's the way to get the, the, the virus uh, antidote. Are you OK with that? I believe uh, that you could make an argument that if Ellie was awake and if she knew, if she said to Joel, hey, Joel, yes, I know they're going to take my brain out. They told me about this. I'm fine. I'm going to die. This is my choice. Um, I think he would have been destroyed as a character, uh, as, as a person. But I think he would have left. He would have left. He wouldn't have killed everybody. He would not have forced Ellie to go uh, with him. Um, she could have stayed there and she could have given her brain a science like she, you know, like like Marlene wanted her to. Um, and that's what would have happened. I think there's a very convincing case to be made for that. But they take that away. They do not let Joel talk to her. Uh, Ellie does not know. Marlene tells Joel that Ellie does not know. So Joel knows that this is not uh, consent in any way, in any way. So Ellie does not understand. He didn't even get to say goodbye. Uh, she has no chance to say no. So of course, of course, he is not going to sit idly by and let that happen. And anybody saying that this was Ellie's choice and that she is having her consent taken away from Joel is just is straight up just not paying attention to the reality of what was shown on screen. That's not what happened. Second point um, is that it's stupid for the doctors to kill the only living person that they know of who is immune. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, I am not a scientist, and even I know that is a fucking most bass-ackwards, jackass decision to make. You do not kill the golden goose until you know how it makes the eggs. You should be doing all the tests possible. You should be doing blood draws. You should be doing x-rays. You should be doing whatever. You, you, you don't kill the only person because that person's dead. The doctors are not certain they're going to be able to make a vaccine. They don't know that for sure. They're going to hope. They're going to try. And if it fucks up and it goes sideways, you have literally no one else to to run tests on, to do experiments with. A completely cockamamie decision. So I think from a scientific perspective, incredibly bad decision. It shows to me that these guys do not know what they're doing. Um, the third point that I want to make here, <clears throat> excuse me, is that some people are upset that Joel has somehow damned humanity, right? Like by doing this, by killing the scientists, the only remaining scientists, I guess, in the world who are smart enough to make a vaccine, uh, he he stops the ability of there forever to ever be a cure. He says there will never be a vaccine. There will never be a cure because I killed all the scientists. And by extension, that means humanity is doomed, right? But number one, not only is the cure not confirmed, they do not confirm that they're going to do it. They think they're going to do it. They hope they're going to do it, but they're also going to murder this girl who has not given informed consent. Um, cordyceps is not the problem here, folks. The fungus is not the problem. Um, it's the people. So what do I mean by that? Inside the quarantine zones of the show, where the humans are still living, they've erected walls, they've got barriers, um, they're living away from the fungus zombies. Um, these people are treating each other terribly. There are fascist people. 
Uh, there are rebels that are doing violence. There are raiders who are killing and raping. There are cannibals. There are pedophiles. There's tons of people who are being shit to each other all the time. And you know what? Uh, they could be working together. They could be helping each other out. They could be working as a team. They could be supporting each other. And they're not. Cordyceps fungus is not doing that to these people. These people are doing that to these people. There is no reason the people in the quarantine zones can't be getting along, rebuilding society within their walls, defending themselves as a team from the fungus zombies, but they don't. Even if they did make the vaccine uh, somehow, and if they somehow mass produced it, and if they somehow wanted to distribute it to to what? The raider, the raiders out in the wilderness, the the cannibal encampments, the weirdos and the psychos. Um, even if they were to somehow make enough and distribute all the, the the vaccine, that doesn't change terrible people into good people. It wouldn't change the fact that these people are committing atrocities to each other on a daily basis. That's just people. That is just human nature. Vaccine is not going to change that. If you don't believe me, take a look around your fucking window right now. We're in the middle of a real life pandemic. And we can't even get people to follow basic fucking procedures. People are having violence about wearing a mask. We are, we're fooling ourselves about COVID and stuff, right? I mean, this is a real life situation and we're already being shit to each other right now. And looking at the show, thinking that the vaccine will somehow, I mean, I mean, save what, right? Like save what? These people are terrible people. Uh, we don't need the vaccine to help each other and support each other. And we are being miserable. So why would you want to save that? I think it's really questionable whether humanity is even worth saving in that sense. But but even without the vaccine, we can still support each other. We can still make safe encampments. We can still um, farm. We can still love each other. We can still build families. And yet we struggle to do that because we're just fucking terrible people. So I think there's a real question about whether uh, humanity, as it is portrayed in The Last of Us, is worth saving at all. Um, finally... Uh, I think it's not hard to understand at all why Joel would want to save Ellie. And I think anybody who is blind to this is just is just being really willfully blind. Um, in this gross, ruined, burned out world, there are so few things that are valuable. And it is clear that Joel loves Ellie and Ellie loves Joel as well. That This is a two way street. Uh, this is not just Joel enforcing his dad vibes on Ellie. Uh, Ellie loves him and and she is just as attached to him as she as he is to her. Uh, for example, she could have easily left him behind uh, in the winter scenes when he gets stabbed in the stomach and he's going to die in the basement. She could have left him no problem if she wanted to get out from under his thumb, if she thought he was being oppressive or whatever. She could have ditched him at any point. But she she says over and over, I can't do this without you. I, I need you. Um, and it's not just about survival. Like, it's pretty clear that she feels for him the way that he feels for her. She goes out of her way to get medicine for him. She takes on all these risks. She kills these dudes and does all this stuff to save him. She goes above and beyond. Um, and so, of course, he's going to return the favor. I mean, they save each other. It's it, it's it's a relationship that develops over the course of the series. And, of course, when you take into account that the Fireflies are not playing on the level, they are lying to Ellie. How in the world would he leave her to die with these motherfuckers when he knows for a fact that she did not leave him to die? She has already proven that she uh, is just as much of a team player as he is, and they are a unit. How in the world... Um, is he going to be doing that? And, you know, it's 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 shitty, too, because I see a lot of people bring up the, the argument that Joel is a bad guy. People are scared of Joel. He commits violence. OK, fucking who doesn't commit violence in this world? It's a fucking terrible world. 
like all the shitty people doing shitty things to each other in every fucking episode in every scene of course you're going to kill people of course you're going to defend yourself of course you're going to you know like like commit violence and steal stuff i mean that's what that's what the world is these days and to act like joel is like somehow worse than the other people doing other miserable things is just like incredibly like horse blinders like you got to be kidding me so I mean, I'm not saying Joel is free from sin. He's not, okay? Like, he does bad shit. But everybody does bad shit in this fucking show. I mean, and and frankly, the fact that he lies to her at the end of the episode, it does not sit right with me. Um, that is the one thing that I really strongly disagree with with him. I wish that that would have done done differently, right? I, I wish that he would have been straight with her, told her about what happened. I mean, it wouldn't have been as ambiguous an ending. I mean, it would have led the discussion in a different direction. But I mean, I think that would have been okay. I, I dislike that Joel lied to her at the end. Um, so I don't like that. I feel like he was wrong to lie to her. But as far as the rest of it goes, I mean, people who crucify Joel for his decisions and somehow feel like he is the ultimate expression of patriarchy or the ultimate most evil character that has ever been in video games and he deserves all the beating and death he got in, in the second game, I feel like you are not being fair and you are omitting at least two-thirds of the situation in order to create these hot takes. Um, Joel's not a perfect guy. Absolutely not. But to pin all this on him is just really wrongheaded and it's just straight up incorrect. So that's my two cents. That's my hot take. Um, shout out to Sip the Juice from Twitter, who kind of got me thinking about some of these things and brought up a couple of these points, especially about the the questionable nature of humanity being worth saving to begin with, which is, is pretty true. Pretty true. So thanks to Sip the Juice for um, kicking off that conversation with me and kind of leading me down this path to kind of come up with these thoughts. So Anyway, now that is a show. This is the show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, uh, we'd love to get your questions and comments. Hit us up at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at sovideogames. Uh, we're also on Instagram, the at sovideogamespodcast. Uh, you can also hit us up individually. Uh, I'm not sure where to check out Carlos this week, so probably check him out on TikTok. Check him out on YouTube. Check him out on Instagram, maybe Twitter. I'm not sure where he's at. He's probably in all those things. He's a real busy guy. He gets around. He posts stuff all the time. You can probably find him there. As for me, uh, whatever social media you're into, except Facebook, because fuck Facebook, but basically everything else, I'm around. Um, some more than others, primarily Twitter and Instagram, but it's me. B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And uh, that's how you can find me on social media. So hopefully you have enjoyed the show. Hopefully you have not missed Carlos too much. I sure have. Uh, he'll be back next week as long as the feds don't catch up with him. We'll come back with our two-man show and cover some more games. But hopefully I did it justice today and you got some value out of today's show, got some entertainment, maybe got a laugh. Who knows? Um, but that's all I got, folks. I am dry. This is going to do it for episode three, two. Is it three, two, seven? It is three, two, eight. Episode three, two, eight. Thank you for joining me specifically. And we'll be back, the two of us, next week. But in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And boy, I really didn't write myself a new exit. So I guess it's bye from me. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye bye. <laughs>